welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Project Rescue is rooted in the history of this ancient land. For a thousand years, there have been girls trafficked out of the tribes of Nepal to the harems of the kingdoms of India. In India, women are not considered equal. They're considered, in many cases, children of a lesser God. Fifteen years ago, Project Rescue was born in Bombay, India. Now in Europe and in the Middle East and in Asia, Project Rescue is impacting this generation of young women who have been sold into sexual slavery and forced prostitution. Last year, 19,000 young women were touched by this ministry. It's giving value to the girls who are not considered valuable, but God considers them valuable. They're His daughters. The key to rescuing women and children from sexual slavery is relationships. Because of this relationship that we've been building, they'll open the home for us to come and teach others Bible studies. The customer would come, the rotten owner would tell the customer, you wait, they're having a Bible study. You know, just like we are being part of their life, we are there to help them. When a woman or a child is rescued out of the red light district and comes into a project rescue home of hope, she begins to get the medical, the physical care she needs over a period of time. But she's also given an education, vocational training, and preparation to begin a new life in Jesus Christ. Prevention has been a key part of Project Rescue's strategy from the very beginning. There are trainings to help people in the local church realize what is happening whenever any little daughter of a woman in the red light district is given to us to have a new life in a home of hope. That's prevention. We just completed our first ever conference in the city of Delhi. Over 80 leaders, church leaders, came together for the first time to hear about this huge need. We are gonna see thousands of women and children find freedom and new life in Jesus Christ. It's quite easy to physically rescue a woman or a child from the brothel. It's another thing to take them out of that and bring them into new life where they have a chance for a new future in Jesus Christ. Thank you for being a part of the solution, getting beyond talking to action. Thank you. Amen. Getting beyond talking, 
Getting beyond just awareness. Getting into the trenches. This Memorial Day weekend, what a joy to be with you here at River Valley Church. This is a church that gives, that sends young people all over the world. Millions of dollars have been invested out of this church in the missions. But greater than that, hundreds of young people have found their destiny in making a difference. There's a scripture that I want to leave with you this morning from John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus said. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going, Jesus says. But one of the disciples said, we don't know the way. And then Jesus answered and said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. My concern today is a place for you, a place for your family, a place of eternal significance. I grew up as a preacher's kid in Pensacola, Florida. My dad is a pastor, and he was a very strict pastor. He preached against everything. What could we do? Nothing. Where could we go? Nowhere. We spent our life at church. Dad preached against television. Television, he said, is like a commode in the living room, flushing sewage in the minds of your children. So we had to go to the deacon's house to watch television. When the kids got together to play games, the only game we knew how to play was church. We didn't know how to play cops and robbers and cowboys and Indians. We played church. And I was the preacher. Our cat died. We put him in a shoebox, got all the neighborhood kids, and had a wonderful funeral. I preached him right into heaven. It was so good, we dug him up the next day and did it all over again. The third day we dug him up, Mama caught us. She said, bury that cat and leave him in peace. But we heard a cat had nine lives, and our cat only got three funerals. We were living out in a rural area. Dad had a huge garden. He bought a dozen chickens and put them out there. And Sunday night was a water baptismal service at our church. On Monday, my brother, who was always leading me astray, said, David, the chickens aren't going to heaven. They haven't been baptized. I said, I will baptize the chickens. <laughs> we looked for water, couldn't find any, but Dad had this huge container of gasoline beside the house. Dad came home and all the chickens were dead. He shouted, who killed the chickens? We said, we didn't kill them. We baptized them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and God took them to heaven. That was my childhood. There I was preaching cats' funerals and baptizing chickens when I was six years old. When I was 12, we had a missionary come to my dad's church, and he told the story of a 12-year-old boy who had no money to put in the missionary offering at the end of the service. They passed the offering pan. This 12-year-old boy took the offering pan and said, Jesus, I don't have any money, but you can have me. And he laid the offering pan on the floor, 
and he stood up in it. And the missionary said, the greatest missionary offering we ever received was a 12-year-old boy standing in an offering plate. And when he told that story, I was 12 years old. And when they passed the offering pan at the end of that service, I said, God, if that little boy can do it, so can I. And I laid that offering pan on the floor and I stood up in it. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my 12-year-old heart and said, David, you'll go to India. And from the age of 12 until today, I've been on my way to India. I left for India after college, 23 years of age. I landed in Calcutta. It was a time of incredible suffering. It was Bangladesh Civil War, 1969. Three million Bengalis had been slaughtered. A million women raped. Nine million refugees filled the city of Calcutta. The city was already a poverty-stricken city of horror. Now we've got nine million Bangladeshi refugees, children, millions of children. In our church, there was a feeding program. We were feeding 100,000 children a day in our feeding programs. And every morning at 6 o'clock, I was a part of that. As I would go to the church every morning, early, early, I would pass a sewer pipe where a refugee family had moved in and covered this big, big pipe with rags over both ends. And the man and woman would be out looking for food or work or money every, early in the morning. And there'd be a little five-year-old girl and a little two-year-old boy standing at the end of that sewer pipe at, the end of, at six o'clock every morning. And as I would walk by, I would wave and greet them in Bengali, and they would wave back. Every morning, we would wave, six o'clock in the morning, two little kids. The little girl was wearing a burlap sack and no shoes. The little two-year-old boy was wearing nothing. One morning, the little girl got very bold. She stepped over to the sidewalk and grabbed my pants leg. And in Bengali, she said, Mister, we're hungry. Please help us. I said, in a moment, I'll be back. Down to this huge feeding program was only three blocks away. I said, give me the biggest plate of food you got. And back to that sewer pipe, I handed that little girl a plate full of food. That little five-year-old nodded to her brother to go inside the pipe, and she sat down in front of him. And I stood there and watched while she fed her baby brother and never put a bite of food in her mouth. When he had eaten all he wanted, he passed the food back, and she finished what was left. And I stood on that street corner, and just like when I was 12, standing in an offering pan, I had a moment of destiny. I wanted to say, little refugee girl from Bangladesh, you live in a sewer pipe. All you have is a burlap sack to wear. You have no shoes, but you didn't eat first. You fed your brother first. And I stand here, and I make a new vow to God that I will never again eat first. Never again will I eat first. Somebody else will eat before I do for the rest of my life. And that was 45 years ago. And from that day to this, somebody else eats first. Missions is about who comes first. It's about the miraculous thing that God did in your life. You stepped into an offering pan and said, Lord, here am I. I am the offering. I will go. My hands will be your hands. 
My heart will be your heart. My feet will be your heart, your feet. And I will do what you want me to do to make a difference. And somebody else will eat before I do. That has been a guiding principle of my life. India. Nine years as a single minister. And then God brought Beth into my life. My wife was a widow. Married at 21. Her first husband was killed in an accident at 25. God brought me into her life two years later. She was 27. I was 31 when we married. And I took her straight to India. A week after we were married, we were in India. And I stood in front of thousands and thousands of people the first night in India. And I said, I want you to meet my wife, who was a widow. A shock went through that crowd. This was 38 years ago. And they looked at one another and said, he married a widow. He married a widow. After the service, the leader came to me and said, Dave, you notice the commotion. He said, in this day, and this was 38 years ago, he said, in our culture in India, no one would marry a widow. A widow is considered a curse. She would never remarry, and no one would marry her. He said, it would be better if you never, ever again mentioned she was a widow. I said, well, I'm speaking to pastors tomorrow. He said, share with them. So the next day, I opened my Bible, and I began to read from the prophets who said, God said, I am the father of the fatherless. Because in that culture, someone without a father is considered cursed. Without a father, you have no identity. A woman without a husband has no identity. But God says, I'm the father of the fatherless. And then God says, I'm the covering, the protector, the defender of the widow. And something miraculous happened that day. 500 pastors began to weep. And they said, from this moment, this book is more important than anything else. And the orphan we will embrace because God is the father of the fatherless. And he's the protector of the widow. And from this moment, the widow will be the most honored person in our church. I married a widow and took her to India 38 years ago. And then God gave us two daughters. Why is that so important? Because millions of little girls are aborted in India every year. Because a boy is a desired asset. Girls are liabilities. Millions of little girls are aborted just because they're girls. Over a million little girls are suffocated at birth because in poverty-stricken villages, they say a little girl's born. And often someone will lay a cloth upon their face and they'll stop breathing. And they said she was born dead. No, she was born a girl. That's a liability. God gave us two daughters for which we are extremely grateful. That became very important 20 years ago when we launched the Teen Challenge Center in the slums of Bombay to minister to a million children in the slums. And our Teen Challenge staff went to the red light district of Bombay and found 100,000 little girls who had been sold into sexual slavery and forced prostitution. 100,000 little girls. And they began to minister to those young women. And after building relationships with them, they said, what can we do for you? And those young women said, would you take our daughters to a place of safety? A place of safety. John 14 that I just read to you, I go to prepare a place for you. God's talking about eternity. But it spoke to my heart when God said, 
a place of safety for thousands of little girls, a place of safety away from the brothels, away from the violence and the rape and the abuse and the evil and the darkness. The first night, they gave us 37 little girls and said, would you please take them to a place of safety? And we opened our first shelter in Bombay, India. A madam walked out of one of the brothels, a little three-year-old girl by the hand and said, you can have her. She's going to die anyway. Her mother died today. Her mother was 19, raised in a poverty-stricken village in Nepal, sold to a brothel in Bombay at the age of 12 for $200. By the time she was 16, she already was infected by the AIDS virus, and she gave birth to a little girl who was born with the AIDS virus. At 19, she was dead of tuberculosis, leaving a little three-year-old born with the AIDS virus, no future, but we said we'll take her. And in our home, our first safe shelter, 37 little girls and one little girl with AIDS. We had a wonderful Christian physician who would come and minister to our girls medical care every week. One day he phoned me and he said, David, in 30 years of medical practice, I've seen many miracles, but the one I saw today was the best. He said the little three-year-old that was given to us a few months ago, who's HIV positive, I tested her blood this week and there's not a trace of the virus in her body. God has stretched out his hand. Our God, as pastor said a moment ago, as he starts talking about healing, our God is a miracle-working God. He's also, there's a mystery about often about healing. All of our girls are not healed, but that one was. And today, she's going to Bible college. She is going in the ministry. She has a future. Because when God says, I'm passing an offering plate this morning, not, or this evening, not just for your offering, but for you. And tonight, there will be a missionary offering taken right here in your church. And as the Spirit of God speaks to your heart, it's not just important that you give. It's important that you step into the plate and give yourself. Give your heart. Give your hands. Give your future. Give your destiny to make a difference. A difference. Not only overseas, but right here in Minnesota. There's a place of healing. A place of deliverance. A place of freedom that God is calling you to bring people to. And I stand here and I look into your hearts and I say, when the offering plate goes by, step in. Now, you don't have to do it physically, but spiritually, yes. Step in because it's the Holy Spirit that's inviting you to give him your heart, to give him your dreams, to give him your past to give him your present, and to give him your future. There's a place in God's heart for you. There's a place in God's kingdom for you. There's a place. There was a little seven-year-old that was given to us out of a brothel. Her mother, little girl's mother died. Project Gretzky was ministering in that brothel. And she knew she was dying, and she said, when I die, please take my daughter. They brought the little seven-year-old to our home, our shelter, a safe place, a place, a future for that little girl. 
You saw in the video it said 19,000 girls. That video is now two years old. This year we touched 36,000 little girls in brothels in 12 different nations to say there's a place for you. God will make a place for you. A place of safety, a place of healing, a place for your future. This little seven-year-old, I became like her adopted uncle. Every free moment, she'd come and spend, I'd wrap my, her, her hand, she'd wrap her hands around my little finger and just sit there and hold my, hold my finger. We'd eat together, we'd go to church together. Came time for me to leave and I took her in my arms and I said, honey, Uncle David's got to leave. I'll be back in a few weeks. She said, no, Uncle David, I won't see you again. The doctors had said that the disease in her body, she didn't have long to live. She knew she was dying. I knew she was dying. But I didn't want to say it. I was holding her in my arms and tears started down my face. And she reached up a tiny hand, brushed the tears off my cheek, and she preached the greatest sermon I've ever heard. And please, if you don't remember anything else tonight, remember this one. She said, don't worry about me, Uncle David. I've got Jesus, and he's all I need. I sat her down on the floor, and I walked out of that home of hope, and I got on the plane, and I was still crying when I flew out of that city. And I said, God, there's a little seven-year-old down there who's never known a father. Her mother's dead, and she's dying. But she says... I've got Jesus. Every church I went to, Pastor, I shared her story and asked thousands of people to pray for a miracle for that little girl. And I confess, and please forgive me, 45 years in India, and I've seen a lot of miracles, but I was really struggling with that one. I flew back into India and stepped out of the plane, out of the airport in that city. A large group of friends had come to meet me. And suddenly, out of that group, a little girl broke loose and came screaming down the sidewalk, Uncle David. I swept her up in my arms, and I said the stupidest thing I've ever said. I said, honey, what are you doing here? I'm ashamed to say I was surprised. I shouldn't have been, but I was. And she looked at me almost reprovingly and said, Uncle David, I told you that I've got Jesus, and Jesus has healed me. And he's given me a new family. I've been adopted. I have a new mother. And Uncle David, for the first time in my life, I have a father. I told you I've got Jesus. And he's all I need. I stood there holding her. She had gained 20 pounds. She was no longer dying. She was no longer an orphan. Jesus had stretched out his hand. And made a place for her in his heart, in his family, a place, a place, a place for her. And now a family. And I stand here tonight and I say to you, there's a place for you in God's kingdom. There's a place for you in God's family. River Valley Church is all about a place, a place of family, a place of service, a place of investment, a place of destiny. Our church has a dream of 500 missionaries going to the ends of the earth, across America and around the world. Over 100 have already gone. We're going to see 400 more go. Why? Because there's a place. There's a place. 
And your place is in the offering pan. Your place is where life makes a difference. Your hands are not just your hands. They're the hands of Jesus to give, to go, to heal, to make a difference in your hands. Our two daughters, our younger daughter Jennifer became a nurse. Both of them were friends of Mother Teresa when they were little girls. We'd take them over to Mother Teresa's place and she would sit one down on one side and the other and pray over them. So when Jennifer graduated nursing school, she went back to Calcutta to work in the home for the destitute and dying. And when she would walk through that home of destitute, she said, Daddy, the little women that brought in to die in dignity, they would reach out to touch us. They gave us gloves. All medical people used, she said, but I couldn't wear their gloves. I didn't want them to reach out to me and find a gloved hand. I took the gloves off. And I would cradle their face in my hands and whisper in their ear, his name is Jesus, and you will see him very soon. That was my youngest daughter. Our older daughter graduated with a degree in education and theater from Evangel University. Went on to the University of Missouri and did a master's degree in using theater as therapy for abused children. And at 24 years of age, went to India to work in the brothels, to reach out of the brothels and using dance, art, drama to bring healing to little girls who had been raped and assaulted and their lives had been shattered to rebuild their lives. A place of healing. That's what the video was all about. And now our dream is to change communities of darkness into communities of light. Our dream is to plant churches at the doorway to hell. Our plan, our dream is to put a church in the darkest place on this planet and see not only little girls and young women and their children heal, but to see an entire community change and have a community of light instead of a community of darkness. We have that church in Bombay. We have that church. Hundreds of young women come into that church every week and find freedom. Many of them are coming out of the darkness of the brothels to find healing. I stood there one night at the one 19-year-old girl began to testify in the service. She said, you can see the scars on my body. But she said, what you cannot see is the scars in my mind, the violence, the rape, the assaults, the years of violence. She said, but when Jesus rescued me, he washed my blood of the disease. I am now free. But greater than that, he washed my memories. My memories like jagged glass are no longer torturing me. He has given me the mind of Jesus. The memories are not gone. They're healed. Four years later, I stood at that same altar and performed a wedding for her and a young minister. She and her husband are now missionaries back to the red light district because he's a God of wholeness. You saw it on the video. We have medical clinics. We have education. We have schools. We have vocational training. So there's a new beginning. Our four main staff members in Bombay are all former madams who have come out of the darkness, placed their life in the offering pan, and God has brought them into an enormous place of service for the kingdom of God. I stand here tonight at River Valley Church, and I say to you, this church is a missions church. 
It's a giving church. It's a going church. It's a believing church. We believe in miracles. We believe in healing. We believe in deliverance. But most of all, we believe that God wants to use you as an instrument of healing to your family, to your community. We believe that. My dad was an old-fashioned preacher who believed in praying for everybody and everything. And before you would go anywhere, school, anywhere, let's pray. When I left for India from our airport in Pensacola, Florida, there would have been those days, that was 45 years ago, there was 400 people seeing their friends out on that flight. Dad and my family was there, and we got ready to board the flight. Dad said, let's pray. I thought we'd have a little family huddle, but not Dad. He threw his head back and screamed, God, David's going to India. 400 people knew I was going to India. He got me ready to live, die. He covered me with the blood, the plane with the blood, the pilot. Everybody got covered with the blood. He, when he finished praying, sat down on the plane. Businessman leaned over and said, was that your dad? <laughs> embarrassed, I looked at him. Tears running down his face. He said, don't be embarrassed. I haven't heard a prayer like that in 25 years. He said, I grew up in a home in Atlanta, Georgia. My dad prayed over us every day. But when my dad died 25 years ago, I walked out of his funeral angry at God and swore I'd never darken the door of another church. And I haven't. But he said, I stood at that airplane gate and your dad began to plead the blood. He said, it wasn't even your dad's voice. It was my dad's voice. He said, I felt an arm go around my shoulder I haven't felt in 25 years. And while your dad prayed, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. He said, I'm back under the blood. By the time I was crying, and the song in my heart was, there's power. There's power in the blood of Jesus and in your prayers. I married a widow and took her to India. God gave us two daughters. And 20 years ago, walking through the red light district in Bombay, God said, I gave you two daughters. Now I want to give you 2,000 daughters. I said, but God, there's 100,000 here in Bombay, and there's 75,000 in Delhi, and there's 60,000 in Calcutta, and on and on. There's a million of them in this country. And God said, then ask for a million. And I began to pray, and I still pray for a million little girls to have a place in the kingdom of God. And I close this message by saying my dream is that the marriage supper of the Lamb when the trumpet of God sounds and we go into eternity, there'll be a million little girls who have found their place in the kingdom of God. The back of the building, auditorium, there's three books. One's called Beyond the Soil Curtain, Project Rescue's Fight for the Victims of Sex Slave Industry. The back of it reads like this. 15-year-old Sumi peels back the soil curtain of her stall in Bombay, India's red light district. She watches the customer pay the madam. For Sumi, this is her ninth customer of the day. When she's complied with his demand, she'll be released to attend a church service conducted by Project Rescue. She's not going to be there forever. God is going to bring her out beyond the soil curtain. Someone said to my wife and I, you need to write about what's happening behind those soil curtains. I said, no, not what's behind it, what's beyond it. It's not where you are today. It's where God wants to take you. There's a second book called Beyond the Shame. The greatest struggle of the girls that we've rescued is shame. 
Project Grace's fight to restore dignity to survivors of sexual slavery. They say the greatest struggle, how do we tell somebody I was born in a brothel? How do I tell somebody I never had a dad? How do I tell somebody who my mother is? Beyond the shame, the God who gives new families and a place of safety, salvation, and new beginning. My wife has just completed a new book called Courageous Compassion, Confronting Social Injustice God's Way. These books are available on the table out in the lobby. But my greatest concern right now is you and your hands. We have a curriculum for caregivers of those who are working with victims of sex trafficking. It's called Hands That Heal because we believe that God wants to bring healing to your heart, your mind, and your hands right now. Will you pray a prayer with me? Will you take your hand and put it right over your heart? And will you say this prayer with me? Say this prayer with me and believe it with all of your heart. Lord Jesus, I give you my heart. There are hard places in my heart. Lord Jesus, put faith in my heart. There's a place in my heart for you, Lord Jesus. Come and fill that place with your Holy Spirit. Bring healing to my heart. I need healing, Lord. Give healing to my heart. With my heart, I believe. With my lips, I confess. Jesus Christ is the Son of God and my Lord and my Savior. Hallelujah. Lift your hand and touch your head and say with me, Lord Jesus, bring healing to the memories that are very painful. Give me a new mind, the mind of Jesus. Amen. Stretch out your hands with mine and say, Lord Jesus, these are your hands. Just as Mother Teresa said, we are the hands of God. These hands are yours. We will give, we will go, we will heal through the power of Jesus Christ. These are your hands. Use them for freedom, liberty, and deliverance. For girls and boys, right here in Minnesota, in India, in Europe, in Bangladesh, in Nepal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Give him praise. Would you do it?